0: Why all of you now want to be a pastor. Right?.
1: Whew.
0: Okay, let me catch my breath now. No, we're good. This morning we're going to talk one last time about heaven and earth and creatureliness. This, this is my, um, this it's like got baby catnip on it. So when we do dedications, this keeps the child entranced. This and it's also sprinkled with Ritz crackers.
1: <laughs>
0: There's an old story. Old, 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 old story that the first writers of the Bible, they knew quite well. It was just sort of in the air at the time. And it was this story about how everything came to be. Now the reason that that these ancient peoples would tell this story of of history, of beginnings, is because they needed to legitimize or solidify the social order. And in the days when the story was going around, the social order was that there was a king or a ruler. And then everyone else who served that king... This monarchy system. King and priest, those roles sort of laid over one another. And it was important to establish rituals that solidified this social hierarchy. So one of those rituals was uh, this making of statues or of carved uh, images now, when the Bible talks about these carved images or statues, it talks about them like idols, right? We know that word for idolatry, but idols for lots of folks were just, these are the carved images of the gods, like icons. Now, they would take this carved wood, stone, whatever material they had at the time, and they would take the stone in this ritual, usually to a river. And they had this ritual called the washing of the mouth and the opening of the mouth. And, and the... The idea was that you would wash the statue. It was this kind of purification ritual, and then uh, you would, the, the gods would breathe into this statue, and it would become this living image of the god. This sort of, like, if we're not sure where this God is, well, at least it's the statue can sort of mediate this God's presence. And they would take the statue and they would put it somewhere important, like at a city square or in the middle of a temple. And that would be the connection for the people to their God. This was known as like the, the image of God in the world. In fact, they would take often lots of little versions of the statue that they would commission and you, they would send them out to all of the different parts of the, the kingdom where that king or that emperor ruled as little representations of the king. So you know who's in charge in those places. And it would mediate presence back and forth. Now the statues also stood for the actual king, also filling the role of the actual priest. There was always this concern with like, how do we communicate with the heavens? We need something tangible we can hold on to. Ted and his family here have just come back from Israel, right? You made it back. We've been praying for you because you were there for like two weeks. You were in that space where there are all kinds of connections between heaven and earth. All of these big churches and cathedrals. And the space kind of has an energy to it. Uh, That is an old, old story of these images of God in the world. Now, the fascinating thing is when the biblical writers decide to tell the story of humanity and of creation, they tell the story similar to this that I just told you of the opening of the mouth and the washing of the mouth and these images of God that are statues. And instead of the king, though, in Genesis 1, when it talks about the creation of humanity, if you have a Bible, you should turn there. I'll read it for you. See if this sounds familiar. God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, and the image of God created them, male and female, he created them. These early writers of the scriptures, they take this old story that was in the air at the time, and they... Flip it upside down. Now I'm going to say this and it's not going to sound like a big deal, but it is a huge deal in the history of religion. For all of history and even still for a lot of understandings of the sacred, there was one person who stood between the people and God. The priest-king figure. We still have vestiges of this, even sometimes the way that you all might think about uh a head pastor, or if you maybe grew up in uh like Catholicism, you might think of the of the Pope functioning uh as sort of the mediator, the go between. Um, that's a sort of incomplete picture both of Catholicism and of what we do here. Uh here's what they do They say that all of humanity is created in the image of God. That this not just for the king, but it's for everyone that you you and me all of us by our very created nature reflect and mediate God's presence into the world this is our primal vocation our call as humans it says right after that it gives the first commandment in the scriptures then God blesses them and God says to them be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth subdue it, have dominion See, I've given you everything, and everything was very good. Just like all those little statues go out into all different parts of the empire to make sure that everyone knows which God is in charge, God calls humanity to fill the earth, to spread out throughout it, and carry with it this primal vocation of reflecting and mediating God's presence in the world. Known as glory or kavod. Like you carry God's glory into all of these different places. Second chapter says it in a different way. But it should sound a lot like that ritual I talked about. Where they take the statue to the stream. And they, they wash it in and then they breathe into it the breath of the God. First 7 chapter 2. Then, stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. So there's the river. And then the Lord God formed the Adam from the dust of the ground. And breathed into nostrils the breath of life and the human became a living being. We are the image of God. Not just the king, not just the ruler, all of us. It's this universalizing move right at the start of the thing. This is the created purpose for all of reality, for the cosmos. That somehow God calls humanity, you and I, to partner with God in this sort of overflow of God's very being into reality. When we talk about the image of God, that's what we're talking about. That we would be filled, right? God breathes into us the breath of life. And then in our filling, we go out into the world and the earth becomes filled with the glory of God. That's the story. That is the first story. We have to start there. And it's where we've been going back to week after week. When we talk about where God is taking things. In the new creation. In the resurrection of Jesus. What is Jesus doing in resurrection. That sort of pulls all of this story into the present. And pushes it off into the future as well. Connects all of these threads together. Now. This idea of filling the cosmos, it carries on throughout the scriptures. The psalmists talk about the whole earth is full of your glory. The prophets talk about it. It Shows up in the book of Revelation when all of the angels and these creatures are singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, the whole cosmos is full of His glory. That is where the story is headed. Problem is that there's a different kind of filling of the cosmos going on, the story doesn't stay here in our primal calling as humans. Because what do we fill the earth with instead? Does anybody remember? Say it again. Anger. Anger? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a way of saying it. Uh huh. Chapter six of Genesis. It actually starts with the Cain and Abel story. It's violence. God's intended purpose is that humanity would fill the earth with the glory of God. That we would mediate all of God's generous grace into creation. But, what happens? Humanity goes off the tracks, turns to violence, and decides that's what we're gonna fill this thing with. And so it spirals. First it's with these two brothers, with the murder, and then it's with this vengeful relative later on, and then it's the generation before the flood, and And the writer of Genesis says the whole earth is full of violence. Later the prophets will say that your hands are full of blood. So we have this choice because we have this power. Because we are made in the image of God. To carry forth and to make of the world a thing. We can either stay in this story of God our original vocation and call, or we can go our own way. Now, this week is just one more example of newspapers full of the ways in which we've filled the world with violence. Yes, Judah, anger is a form of violence. Hatred, racism, prejudice, actual shootings in actual schools. What's happening in Gaza, in the occupied territories. Like It's just, it's full, right? It's full. Not just the big stuff, though. It could be the small spaces, the intimate spaces, your home. A bedroom can be full of violence. A boardroom can be full of violence. This does something. Begins to take this... This wholeness. And that's what the word peace means in the Hebrew scriptures. Shalom means this wholeness. This unified reality. And it begins to break it apart. This is what we always say sin does. It It, it dissipates. It disintegrates. Until everyone is an island. All competing for scarce resources. Fearful. Full of violence. That's. What humanity decides it will do. Now. God is not going to give up. So God keeps pursuing this original story. Chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Genesis. Talk about all the different ways that humanity exercises its power. In really broken and destructive ways. And God keeps coming in and making space for humanity and grace. And then finally God zooms in on one family. It's chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. The story has taken this really large 10,000 foot view and it zooms in on this one family and says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to land. I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. Now I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What God is doing with Abraham and Sarah, with this original couple, is calling them back to the purposes of Adam and Eve, redoing creation writ small. Saying, okay, well, everything's full of violence, not full of glory, but you. Let's just start with this family. Let's start with this people, with this nation, and let's see if they can bless the world and fill it. That is Israel's call. Now we know how that goes. Right? We keep following the story. The letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, starting at 15. This is about Jesus Christ. See if this sounds familiar. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. So that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Can you hear? Can you hear that primal story back with us again? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. By making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel you have heard, and which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. This is the story that Paul has become a servant to. And week after week when we show up here, this is the story that we are telling each other over and over again. That we have placed ourselves in service to. What we could not do over and over again, it's still our calling. It has always been our calling. To stand between the cosmos and the divine. Between God and creation. Between heaven and earth. And mediate God's goodness into the world, God's blessing into the world. That call of Abram, that call of Adam and Eve, that call of Christ is also still our call. But what Christ does is what we could not do. Which shows us how to be human. How to be the human one. That language of the Son of God, it's both unique to Jesus and it is also quite universal. Some translations call Jesus, the son of God, the human one, which sounds very common because that's something that, well, I don't call myself the human would that be a weird way to refer to myself, but I am, I'm a human one. And how have I been made in the image of God? How have you been made in the image of God? Christ calls us back and this gets to vocation. We need to talk about vocation for a second. Because if it's not just for the king, it's not just for the priest, it's not just for the monarch or the empire, but it is for all of humanity to be this mediating presence of God in the world, then what are we supposed to do with our lives? Sometimes it can feel like church is about me, or if you're a minister here, you could raise your hand, us standing between God and humanity, dispensing certain things out, and the role of the congregation is simply to receive. It sets up this weird power dynamic, right? It is not the original purpose or calling of humanity. I'm here with you. We're all in this together. Wherever you are in life, that is where you've been called to be. You show up here on Sunday mornings in preparation for being in the world. The other language that gets used in the Bible for humanity is a priesthood of believers that all of us are ministers and I don't want all of you to go get ordained and become ministers up here I want you to go be priests unto one another in the world so if you are a doctor then be a doctor unto Christ live for the healing Of the cosmos where you are. If you work in the industry. And your job is to tell stories. Then tell them well. And treat people with dignity. And with honor in those spaces. If your job is to care for. And raise a family. Then mediate God's blessing. Grace and goodness. In that space. In that sphere. If you're a student. If you are a teacher. Right. This is the game. This is the whole thing right here. We are all image bearers of God. And we all have a role to play. It gets really dangerous when the church starts to think that the job is to receive. And it's other people's job to give. To give and to give. We all are called to this primal vocation. There is this pattern And it gets established in the scriptures. And it's become really like if I were to write down what we're doing as a church, this is it. It fits on a note card. It's really easy. Just memorize it. It's three words. God calls us. And no one is excluded from this call. God blesses us. And then God sends us. Pentecost is a really good day to talk about this. God sends the spirit and the spirit, it fills the room where those early Christians are. And then it begins to fill the earth. You could take that story and you could tell it just in the ways that we've experienced the last week with Andres. Sitting in a courtroom and all of a sudden this judge calls him by name. Calls this new reality into being. Then we stand here and bless, right? And then at some point you'll sin. Not yet. That is what we're doing here. Calling you all back into this space week after week, asking you to call your friends and family, people you love into this space. So that we together can clearly articulate what God might be saying to us. Which if it's not clear, we say it at the end of every service is benediction and blessing. That the world That the cosmos would be blessed through us, through God. Not condemned, but loved. So when we think about vocation, all of us are included. This image that we drew a few weeks ago when Dr. Amos Young was here to talk about missions... We would like to stop talking about missions as something that happens somewhere else. Missions is just what we do all the time if we're paying attention. Carrying this story into everywhere we go. What Jesus says like, you're to be in the world, but not of the world. You are to move into spaces full of violence, full of anger, full of hands, full of blood, and you are to change the space. You are to affect the atmosphere. Now part of that means you have to believe that this power resides within you and that it does not come from you but is a gift from God. And if you believe that, there are... Some pretty wonderful things that might happen through you. Think a lot about ordination when I think about call. I was ordained, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, sometime yesterday. I remember it was very hard for me to see my own vocation in the world. Like what did I say? The one thing I will never do is be a pastor. I failed. <laughs> I remember telling Corey, like, I think I'm gonna you know, you know the story, like I think I might this might be where my future is headed, and you said, I know. An ordination was in Dallas. I have my certificate in my office God called me but used others to say it these are the signatures that are on my ordination certificate friends and family sometimes it's hard to hear it in isolation this calling It comes from a community and sends you into the world. Again, it's why you come here. So that these folks can remind you who you are. It's why you've committed to bring your child here. So that we can keep reminding each other who we are. There are a lot of really lonely people in really lonely spaces who feel isolated from everyone and everything and you might be the one who speaks to them about this wholeness this peacefulness this other way than violence I was at a lunch this week with a new friend of mine and uh he works as a minister and also as a an executive at a school in town and we were talking about call and we were talk like I'm always talking about the sermon all the time, no matter when it is, and so we start talking about all this stuff and he mentioned to me this line that I wrote down real quick on a napkin. He said a lot of people think that they're called alone. But no, we are called together. Did anybody watch the wedding? Don't be embarrassed. Let's see those hands. I see that hand. See that hand. So I knew that there was a wedding going on, but like that was the extent of it. And someone asked me, Anna, I think you asked me, like, are you going to stay up till midnight to watch the wedding? And no, I'm going to go to sleep. And if I'm still up at midnight, I'm definitely not watching a wedding happening across the sea so last night Corey and i sit down at the end of the night and we're thinking like what are we going to watch and we realize that the wedding is streaming and i thought this like i could make fun of something for an hour that seems fine and so we start watching And of course it's i turned to you and i said like by the way this is just going to be an hour of of me mocking things is that okay with you and uh i i didn't intend for it to happen but i got really into it y'all I was, Like, I was super rooting for this couple after however long of all these people processing. But I had heard about the sermon. Did you hear about the sermon? The sermon? Okay. Okay. <laughs> we could have just played that today, and that would have been fine. It was Reverend Michael Curry, African-American man from America, just brought it. I mean, and... <laughs> <laughs> So there was this very, um, oof, I don't think England's listening to this, right? Okay, we'll say what we're going to say. There was this very stodgy, older white fella who a, a couple of people before was sort of giving instructions, this very spiritual sounding thing, and, and the bride and groom were kind of snickering because it was all quite formal and, and really serious. And, uh, and then the reverend stands up to preach. I'm going to read a few lines for you. Because what he does is he steps into all of like the, the symbols of power that operate in the world. All of this royal space. Interrupts it, partly with his very body, often not belonging in those kinds of spaces. And then also with his language, unabashedly about Jesus. Unabashedly about the history of humanity, both in this country and abroad. Calls forth the prophets of our age and ages past. And he says it in a way that only he could have said it. He's turning around and he's talking to people behind him. There was a guy behind him. And he was uh, I don't have a chair. So, you know, like the preacher's sitting this way talking to everybody. And there's a guy back here, very formal, sitting down, staring in this direction. I don't know what was over in this direction because the preacher's over here. But he's staring in this direction the whole time. And the reverend keeps turning and talking to him and he does not turn to look. The whole entire time. And they keep cutting at different points of different folks in the crowd, and ev- like most everybody is kind of laughing. The Reverend was, wasn't, is committed to the Jesus story. To carry it in all of its energy, vitality, revolutionary quality into this very, very formal space and just disrupts the whole thing. If you wonder why they killed Jesus, watch the reverend preach. So they laugh, a lot of them. They roll their eyes, a lot of them. He says, the late Dr. Martin Luther King once said, and I quote, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love, and when we do that, We will make of this old world a new world. In this wedding homily, this sermon in the middle of like the seat of power in the world, tells the story of Jesus in the voice of King about the disruptive power of God's love not sentimental love, which is often what we talk about at weddings, but revolutionary love. Said Someone once said that Jesus began his most revolutionary moment in all of human history. A movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world. A movement mandating people to live that love. And in doing so, to change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about some power, real power, power to change the world. And then he begins to describe. The world changed. starts to pull out the power of what King had tapped into, which is the power that Jesus tapped into, which is that God is making all things new. If we can see it. Part of coming here week after week is so that you can see it. If you don't believe me, just stop and think and imagine. Think and imagine. Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and family when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine businesses and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is the way. When love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. Let me stop for a second. If you're curious what your call might entail, listen to the reverend. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. I promise you there are kids going to bed hungry here. Not far from this very building. When love is the way... We will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. I don't need to give prison stats right now, do I? When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth, the earth, the cosmos will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and our shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty of good room. Plenty of good room for all of God's children because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well. Like we're all actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is a source of all of us and we are all brothers and sisters, children of God. He says, my brothers and sisters, this is a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. words said off to the side of this regal pulpit carved hundreds of years ago by a black man from America telling stories about slaves and the seed of white power disrupting everything again with this story that began with God created them in the image of God. God called them, God blessed them, and God sent them. And whether it's dedicating a family or whether it's a wedding or whether it's just gathering for worship again, you are called. And I will keep saying that you are blessed by God. And then when you leave here is when the action starts because that's when you are sent back into the world. Would you pray with me? Make this old world new. God, make this violence cease. Make us whole so that we might go into the world and bring it. Back to life. Help all of us here today to see the dignified nature of our calling. To wherever we work, to our places of business and commerce, to our home economies, to this congregation. All of the places where we bring ourselves, that we bring you to. And all we do, whether in word, thought, or deed, it is for you, God, if we could be so aware. So however we are sleepy, wake us up. However we are dying, bring us back to life. In the power of Christ,
1: amen. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, Pastor John Jay, thank you so much for your message today and for a wonderful series. I hope um, you all have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, I'd like to ask you to please stand and join me in the litany. May the light of your soul bless your work with love and warmth of heart. may the sacredness of your work bring light and renewal to those who work with you and to those who see and receive your work may our never us. may it release wellsprings of refreshment inspiration and excitement may we never become lost in may the day never hurt. may dawn find hope in your heart Approaching your new day with dreams, possibilities, and promises. May the evening find us gracious and fulfilled. May we retreat into the night of us, shelter, and protect May your soul calm, console, and renew you. In the name of the God, three in one. Amen. You may be seated. to encourage each other and to share with each other our burdens as well as our resources for God's work. Um, As the hospitality team comes forward...
0: Hey everybody! You all have had this is a very full service today on Pentecost Sunday, and this is now your second part where we are asking you to actively participate in the service as witnesses today to a baptism. It is a really special occasion, marker in time for this new friend that I want to introduce you to. Some of you may already know her, um, but she and I have been in conversation for the last few months. And she said, when can I be baptized? And I said, today, let's do it. And so here we are. Uh, I'd love for you to meet her, for her to share her testimony with you, and then you bear witness to her commitment to follow Jesus in this life and all things. So I'm going to ask Mari if you would come join me down here at the front. Mari has, uh, she's been part of Bible Study Fellowship, which meets here for the last how long, three years or so? uh good friends with lindsey one of our pastors on staff and started coming to the church in the last half a year or so and uh through conversations this feels like the next step in her own journey with god um so i'm going to ask if you would please share uh some words of testimony with our congregation
2: okay um i was raised locally in the foothills and one could almost say i grew up in a christian bubble My maternal grandfather was a Baptist minister, as were a handful of family members before him. So we attended Baptist church every Sunday morning, and my father was Lutheran, so I went to Lutheran school during the week. I've always been a Christian, but admittedly my lifestyle didn't change much in my walk with God from my youth into my adulthood. Over the past 35 years, I've attended church in waves, depending on the season of time, but I never went to a Bible study or Sunday school class because I thought it was unnecessary. In my eyes, I believed my background, knowledge of the Bible, and my unwavering faith were all God really expected of me until I started attending BSF here at Frith Hill Baptist a few years ago. What started out as no more than an intellectual interest in the study of Revelation rocked my world. Not only do I now have a more accurate grasp on reality, I have come to realize there is such a thing as having a personal relationship with God, And that as a Christian, it is my responsibility to live a purpose-filled life, not skate through it as a lukewarm Christian. I'm excited about the future, as well as a little apprehensive. I've attained a deep-seated sense of peace within me that I've constantly yearned for, but never felt until now. So I know I'm finally on the right path.
0: That is just a snapshot or a window into her story. I encourage you all to come meet and get to know this sister in Christ as she joins us in baptism. Now, Mari, what is your profession of faith?
2: Jesus is Lord.
0: Upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, and raised to walk in new (laughs) life. (laughs) We stand at the intersection of these very grace-filled moments together as a church. It has been good to worship together. It is always good to come together and remind each other of who we're called to be. Image bearers of the divine in the world. So now as you go into the world, the real work begins. That is where you have been called This is simply practice. So I'm going to ask at this time if the prayer team would come down to the front. As we prepare to dismiss, you may have a stirring that you need someone to sit and pray with you. And so these folks are here to greet you and to meet you. A couple of housekeeping tips. Some of you are going to be coming to our basics class after this in the south side room. Head on over there and we'll get started. This is our um, our kind of orientation and deep dive into all things FBC Pasadena. uh,